Guru Nation, welcome to episode 418 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, I interview Mark Smith. So he's Dr. Mark Smith, MD, PhD, Chief Medical Officer of Vistagen. You're going to hear my lengthy intro to him at the beginning of this episode. But we got into a lot. I mean, this is like, it's rare to get the inside glimpse into what sponsors and the people who design these protocols that we work on as sites and as CRAs actually go through as far as their thought process and how they look at the studies that they're designing and what they see as the pain points and what they see as the opportunities and and what they see as the future of the industry. So hopefully you find some value out of this one. Mark is definitely, uh, Dr. Smith is definitely a good person to get to know. Um, I've been networking with him, at least I've been trying to network with him more after the interview on LinkedIn. So definitely somebody you want to keep in touch with. Links are in the show notes to his uh, LinkedIn profile. Also in the show notes is the Patreon channel, five bucks a month. It's a small but growing community. It's not for everyone. It's probably for the top 1% of my fans, uh, or not the top 1%, but for the 1% of the fans, the listeners, the viewers who are entrepreneurial minded, who want to expand their opportunities using digital media, social media, when it comes to life sciences particularly. So we talk about marketing, how to use these tools to expand our opportunities, how to build our brands. We also have a monthly mastermind where we all meet and network virtually. So check that out, patreon.com slash It's only five bucks a month. Also check out links in the show notes to both of the CRA and CRC academies. Links are in the show notes. If you are a site and you need more studies, text me 949-415-6256. We help sites get studies, negotiate budgets, create source docs, everything that that entails. So with that being said, hope you enjoyed this episode and talk to you soon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. So I've got Dr. Mark Smith on. Mark uh, joined Vistagen, the current company uh, that we're going to be talking about as the chief medical officer in June of 2016. And Dr. Smith has more than 20 years of pharmaceutical industry experience in CNS drug development, which interestingly enough is where I got my start as well. And still still in that space quite a bit. Uh, he's been a successful project leader in both the discovery and development, resulting in approximately 20 IND. So this is investigational new drug. Dr. Smith has directed clinical trials aimed at, at depression, bipolar, anxiety, schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, ADHD, uh, phase one through phase two B, has a vast knowledge and expertise in drug discovery and development, translational neuroscience, clinical trial design and regulatory interactions. Prior to joining Vistagen, Dr. Smith served as the clinical lead for neuropsychiatry at Teva where he was accountable for the strategy and clinical development of neuropsychiatric drugs through all phases of development with a focus on schizophrenia, sleep disorders, and agitation. Previously, Dr. Smith held a range of director positions, including executive director of clinical development at AstraZeneca, uh, where he led the early development of several novel chemical entities targeting treatment-resistant depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia. Dr. Smith has also held positions as Senior Director of Experimental Medicine of Global Clinical Development and Innovation at Shire, 
and served as senior investigator and principal research scientist of CNS disease at DuPont Pharmaceuticals. Prior to joining the pharmaceutical industry, he served as a senior staff scientist of the biological psychiatry branch and senior staff fellow of the clinical neuroendocrinology branch at the United States National Institute of Mental Health. Dr. Smith received his bachelor's degree and master of science from Yale, his doctor of medicine and doctor of philosophy in physiology and pharmacology from UC San Diego, and completed his residency in the Department of Psychiatry at Duke. So that's quite a uh, bio there. <laughs> that I'm not sure anybody's still, still awake after all that, but yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, so obviously you have like tons of experience when it comes to clinical development and CNS. You know, as I was reading that bio, I actually worked with uh, like all of those sponsors as well on studies at the site level. So it's always good to see because on this show we always talk about sites and CRAs and mm -hmm. very rarely do we get the people from the sponsor side to come on and talk yeah. but but uh, can you give us like a maybe a brief background on like how you got started in clinical research to begin with yeah sure sure um, well it, it actually started uh, gosh 20 25 years ago now quite a while back um, I was actually working at the National Institute of Mental Health on stress I was trying to understand the, uh, the you know the pathophysiology uh, what happens you know when our brain is on stress uh, I was working on uh, peptides uh, including corticotropin releasing factor in fact, my mentor, the late, great uh, Wiley Vale, was the guy who discovered uh, corticotropin releasing factor at the Salk Institute. And then, um, you know, we thought it was instrumental in uh, regulating uh, not only the endocrine aspects of stress, but also the behavioral uh, asset aspects of stress. And so, um, I wanted to uh, make a drug that would block uh, corticotropin releasing factor in the brain. And it turned out uh, there was a company, DuPont, uh, DuPont Merck, DuPont Pharma, uh, that uh, had an interest in that as well. And uh, so I left NIH uh, to join that uh, pharmaceutical company and uh, tried to make a uh, antagonist. And, you know, about uh, $500 million later, we did... <laughs> make a drug that was eventually tested, but unfortunately it didn't quite work. And uh, so, you know, the things that we discover in rats, unfortunately don't always translate to, to human beings, but uh, that's how, how I cut my teeth on, um, on uh, drug development. So it was, uh, it was a great learning experience. And uh, then I went on from there, but, uh, you know, really got hooked on, um, on, you know, trying to make these molecules and, and see what they did. You know, in human wow. beings. Now, I from your bio, a, mm -hmm. yeah, but I was going to ask you from your bio, it said 20 INDs. So, from those 20, like, do you know roughly how many actually got uh, went through the approval process and got approved? None, unfortunately. None. <laughs> from the 20. So, that shows people like the amount yeah. of work that goes into this stuff. I mean, 20, yeah, you know, and zero. Yeah, uh, they were all, you know, you know, very risky projects, very, almost all were first in class molecules. And it, it does, it does show you just how hard it is uh, to make a drug. You know, I think once we tried to put on a, uh, on a wall, how many steps it took, you know, to make a drug, I think it was like 930 steps or something. And, you know, any, <laughs> any one of those that goes wrong, that's the end of the drug. So it's, um, it's, it's quite an endeavor. And, you know, people, 
you know, sometimes rightly so complain about how expensive drugs are, but, you know, for everyone that gets to market, you know, many, many, many fail. So um, it, it is a, it's a, it's a long and expensive endeavor. Mm. So what, it, what brought you to Vistagen? And just give us the background on what Vistagen mm -hmm. actually is. Yeah. So um, what, you know, Vistagen uh, is really my first foray into biotech. I'd always worked in, in fairly large pharmaceutical companies or mid-sized pharmaceutical companies. And, um, but, you know, those companies over the, year, over the years, you know, have often lost interest in developing psychiatric medicines or, you know, uh, drugs to affect the central nervous system. I mean, a lot of it was just what we've been talking about, 20 INDs and not one brings in any money. Uh, so you can understand why they, they would, uh, the business guys would lose interest. Uh, and there's been some spectacular failures. We certainly had our share at AstraZeneca of drugs that looked promising early on, but didn't make it in phase three. And so, um, but I was still, you know, dedicated to central nervous system and psychiatric drugs, especially drugs that treat anxiety and depression. And um, so a lot of that work now is being carried on in um, smaller companies, biotech companies. And um, Vistagen uh, had a promising drug candidate, uh, AV101, which is a glycine antagonist uh, prodrug. Um, sort of like uh, works on the NMDA glutamate system, but different than the recently approved S-ketamine, which mm -hmm. uh, has a lot of side effects and causes uh, hallucinations. So anyway, I joined that company, gosh, it was about four years ago now. And uh, so we've been uh, endeavoring to make novel medications for anxiety and depression. And uh, so I went where the action is, which right now mm -hmm. seems to be in smaller companies. It definitely is the case. Uh, we tell sites all the time, new sites, new physicians that are starting their own research clinics. Your best bet for your first study is probably the biotech you haven't heard of. Like it's probably not mm -hmm. going to be Pfizer, AstraZeneca. They already have their preferred sites. But go on clinicaltrials.gov and you'll find tons of companies out there doing yep. pretty cool things. So I always tell them, hey, you know, it's really like, and especially now in this decade, it looks like with, with the advent of technologies and risk-based monitoring and virtual trials and all those things, which we could talk about a little bit, um, it really is like empowering these smaller companies to mm -hmm. do more with the resources they have. And exactly. it kind of levels the playing field for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, to be honest, we find it... Um, most efficient for us to deal with the, you know, smaller sites, smaller CROs, you know, that more fit, you know, our nimble, you know, way of, uh, of working. Yeah. Hey, maybe we need to talk because we do psychiatric <laughs> sites, uh, uh, studies all the time. So we're not working with you guys. Maybe we need to talk afterwards. Yeah, sure. Uh, but how, how closely are you involved and in, in not just with Vistagen, but throughout your career, um, how closely were you involved with the Clin Ops teams, meaning, the CRAs, the lead CRAs, the project managers, do you guys communicate on a daily basis or how, how does that work from a sponsor level? Yeah. Well, you know, in big pharma, yes, of course, we have our own, um, uh, uh, you know, cl whole clinical operations team. You know, they were all internal, you know, to our company 
And they were really the ones who uh, worked at the interface with the sites and the external CROs. So, uh, I mean, they were a partner. I mean, in some ways they were really running the show, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> as a psychiatrist or as an MD, you know, I'm there to, uh, you know, you know, ensure we get the right patients in the right endpoints, but the day-to-day -day operations, of, you know, they are the clinical operations people, the people who are, you know, boots on the ground and um, really make sure that the trial is, uh, uh, you know, goes uh, the way we, we want it to. And, um, you know, I, so I found those people to be, you know, uh, absolutely, absolutely essential. Uh, we couldn't, uh, couldn't do this without them, obviously. Have you ever served as a medical monitor for a study? I have not, actually. Um, uh, you know, I was, um, you know, I had people uh, reporting to me who did, who did a lot of that work. Um, I shouldn't say that. I, no, I, I take that back. I actually have uh, been the medical monitor on uh, at least a couple smaller uh, phase one studies. So, um, okay. yeah. Yes. So you have a good idea, like a pretty good solid grasp on the dynamics of running a study, or maybe mm -hmm. for, in your case, multiple studies at once. It was yep. uh, closer yes. to, to closer to reality. Yes. Um, what is Vistagen doing right now as far as studies? Do you like how has coronavirus impacted the studies? Do you have are all your studies in startup mode? Uh, or are there actually patients enrolled in these studies right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we are uh, in startup mode, um, and part of that's due to the coronavirus, which, you know, has shut down quite a few studies. Uh, part of it's what we're doing. I mean, our, our lead drug, PH94B, is a drug that is targeting anxiety uh, in patients with social anxiety disorder. And okay. so right now, I, I can't really ask these patients to go out and get involved in, the, in, the, in social interactions. I mean, they're, they're happy being at home, you know, like the rest Especially of Especially when we're socially distancing. I mean, they're <laughs> exactly. like best suited for yeah. staying home in this uh, kind of pandemic. Exactly. So it's uh, kind of bad timing right now to, uh, to conduct a study like that. Although there probably are ways of doing it. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, you know, unfortunately, COVID-19 has really slowed down uh, uh, a lot of uh, drug development and from the actual conduct of the clinical trials to, you know, even even procuring things, you know, making sure you have enough bottles, you know, everybody's, uh, every you know, manufacturing, everything is, is slowed down. So hopefully, hopefully by the end of the year, you know, we'll have a, a vaccine in sight and be able to get going again. Yeah, but you know what? I've never I've been in this industry since 2005 full time and I've never like I've never seen uh, a situation where so many studies are in startup mode. So the industry's busy with like with so much uncertainty. The industry is extremely busy. There's new feasibility surveys almost every week for our sites. Hmm. And mm -hmm. uh you know, it, it seems like these studies that were put on hold are all getting started again whether or not this pandemic ends so <laughs> you know things like virtual trials i mean we had monitor visits the other day at our office you know they're coming in um i went out to a site there's a monitoring visit going on so it's kind of business as usual in a new norm 
and it's busy as ever. I mean, yeah. the end, like 2019 was the record year for the amount of studies and research. 2020 was on pace to be bigger, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it still might be even with the coronavirus, if, especially if you count all the COVID studies that are out there. Well, Crazy. exactly. exactly. And um, so you're right. A lot of, lot of sites are opening up. Maybe they're not running at 100%, but uh, they are trying to do some studies. So we have this drug, PH94B. It's a uh, neurosteroid, um, and, uh, but you don't take it orally. You actually give it intranasally. So patients uh, will you know, have a little spray bottle. And this drug works within 15 minutes, we believe, to relieve anxiety. So let's say you're a social, you have social anxiety, you're, you know, at work and you have to go to, a, you know, a, an important uh, meeting um, and uh, you're getting anxious about it. So patients can, uh, you know, take this intranasal spray uh, before they uh, go into that meeting. And then within 10, 15 minutes, they feel uh, less stressed uh, by these social interactions. So um, we're, we're gonna test this in um, social anxiety disorder, uh, but we're also te- wanna test it in um, a, a adjustment disorder. Um, adjustment disorder is, uh, uh, you know, uh, when people feel under stress and their stress response is exaggerated or they're not functioning um, up to par. And that can be in response, not, that's not so much like a, a real trauma, like PTSD, but more, you know, in, in response to, um, uh, you know, setbacks with their um, spouse or at work, uh, any kind of stressor like that, uh, that mm. uh, gives an exaggerated response, including COVID-19. So we're actually wow. uh, beginning a, a study in uh, New York City um, uh, before year's end uh, to test our drug PH94B to see if it, you know, helps in people who are, you know, very um, stressed out, you know, by this whole pandemic situation, either economically or, or um, you know, who knows, maybe uh, even some of the healthcare workers who are stressed to the limits here. You know, that's interesting. Yeah, because the last crisis I remember in this industry was 2008 financial crisis. And we had an uptick in the studies for MDD. And uh, but interestingly enough, most of those studies excluded people who were just recently uh, having symptoms due to the financial Mm -hmm. crisis. So Mm -hmm. in your case, it seems like you are including these people who are experiencing trauma from the stress of, you know, like we're we're all dealing with, but some people react differently to it. And it's called adjustment Adjustment, adjustment disorder. disorder with anxiety. So, you know, when people get stretched to the limit, they're not sleeping, they're not functioning, or, you know, they're just always on edge and irritable, um, you know, because of this pandemic. Uh, yeah, we're actually seeking out those kind of individuals to see if our drug mm-hmm. would work. So that's, that's one study we're doing, you know, I, and we think we'll be able to carry that out even before there is a vaccine. Right. Now, Early next year, we'll be starting our major studies, which are in social anxiety disorder. And social anxiety disorder or social phobia, it's sometimes referred to, uh, actually affects quite a few people. Um, you know, the, and these can be people, you know, anywhere from you know, folks that are so scared to get out there, they're in their basement all day, to, you know, CEOs of companies who are, you know, scared to, uh, you know, give a, a large speech. And um, 
we had this drug PH94B, which again is given intranasally uh, prior to um, a, a social stressor. We've shown in phase two with public speaking stress uh, that it uh, effectively reduces their, um, their stress levels. And we just measure this. It's uh, actually the patients themselves tell us how stressed they are on a zero to 100 scale, 100 being they're like, you know, completely panic stricken. And um, we found that if we ask them to give a little talk in the, in the setting, in the clinic setting, uh, they get very stressed out when they're on placebo, but when they're on pH 94B, and they've taken it about 15 minutes before they have to give that little talk in front of um, some of this, uh, you know, the uh, staff at the, at the uh, site, um, pH 94B reduces that stress level. And uh, so we're actually going to carry out our phase three study in very much the same way. We just talked with the FDA and they, they actually suggested, you know, why don't you just do the phase three very much like you did the phase two in a controlled environment, uh, which we were very pleased with, you know, to be able to conduct this at the clinic rather than in the real world, which, as I said before, is kind of difficult right now. You don't know if you're, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what you're, you know, what the situation might be. Especially for, uh, so, so basically they were suggesting, hey, why don't you try the hybrid virtual trial model where you send a mobile health worker, uh, you know, to draw blood and, and distribute the IP. And then you'll have like a Zoom meeting basically with the PI or the rater and the patient. Uh, well, yeah, this. we haven't we haven't gone to that quite yet. Um, we may have to if this pandemic continues uh, or gets even worse than it already is. I mean, we're hoping that by in the next spring, people will be willing to come into the clinic and do okay. the you know face to face. You know, again, uh, I think we'll still be able to fair it's a social distance pretty much. But um, uh, you know, the, but the point is, yeah, as you say. Uh, the FDA guided us to look, you know, let's try and make the stressor uniform uh, with and um, uh, decrease the variability by doing this in the clinic rather than out than doing a, a, a bunch of different stressors like, um, you know, their talk at work or whatever. And uh, so, you know, we, um, we felt this was a good idea and should, uh, you know, encourage us to, um, you know, keep the variability uh, low in the study. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How much do you buy into, uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. So how much do you buy into the industry push for uh, decentralization and let's do everything from the patient's homes, basically virtual trial. And uh, because right now those people are looking like they're right because the pandemic kind of catalyzed all of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you're saying you're hoping things go back to normal, so you don't need to do that. So how much do you think the industry, like this is just kind of a hype versus like how much of of this virtual trial in a box type of thing do you think will actually materialize in the future? I I think it is possible uh, to do trials that way virtually um, as long as you – you know, have ways to monitor things. And, and, and that can be both visually, but also, um, you know, we have to ensure that people are taking their drugs. I mean, I've been in this business a long time. One of the biggest nightmares I ever had, we conducted a very large trial in generalized anxiety disorder. 
And, um, you know, we did take blood samples. And at the end of the trial, <laughs> after we broke the code and, uh, and realized that almost 30% of the patients weren't even taking the drugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they would bring the vials back or the bottle back with their pills, and the pills would be gone, and yeah. they had no blood levels. And it's like, what did they do with these things? Flushing it happened, down the happened to a site I know uh, yeah. a, a few years ago. You know, they they did they were really well enrolling site for the study. They had no issues. They thought they would get the the next phase study, uh, no problem, and they didn't get it. And the sponsor told them. Why? And they said when we looked at the PK analysis, we saw that the majority of your patients did not actually were not compliant with, with yeah. the IP. Mm -hmm. So this is a serious problem. Yeah, it is. So that's one issue. So I mean, you you have to make sure that the you know the patients are doing the proper things. But there are ways to do that. They have uh, you know ways to video record patients actually taking the pills, etc. So there are, there are certainly ways to do that. So yeah, I think it's possible if you monitor well. Um, and I am a believer in patient reported outcomes where the patients themselves tell us how they're doing. I mean, you know, uh, you know I mean, ultimately that's, that's what we need to do, right? You know, that's, right. the patient needs to feel better. And um, so, uh, you know, our, our, the, 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 the scale we're gonna use this uh, so-called subjective units of distress scale, which is really just a zero to 100 scale, it's really the patients themselves telling us how they're doing, how anxious they feel. So um, I, I think um, you know more and more people are using patient-reported outcomes, and that can certainly be done too on an on a virtual uh, you know basis. Mm -hmm. And why is C so CNS central nervous system? I always tell clients and sites, hey, you know, you want to be as diverse as possible if you want to remain in business as a research clinic. So CNS seems to be sort of almost like feast or famine with the amount of studies. Mm -hmm. You know, like in in '05 till '08, there was like a surge in CNS, and then there was a decline until maybe 2013, and now that we're in the middle of another surge. Why do you think that is with all indications, but especially with CNS? Why do you think it goes, why is it not like oncology where it's just constant? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, I lived through part of this, and as I said in the beginning, you know, part of this is due to the fact that there were some spectacular failures back then. And, um, you know, we had our share at AstraZeneca, and, um, uh, you know, I think after that, big pharma became uh, less enamored with CNS. I mean, there have also been some very big failures in Alzheimer's, and um, you know, unfortunately, and you know, even uh, you know, uh, with our best results in rats and mice and the genetics, unfortunately, it just doesn't always transfer. That's you know, to the the real world in the clinic, and that's obviously why we do these clinical studies. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that was part of it. Um, Big Pharma was exiting CNS. Uh, now biotech has has taken up the uh, the mantle and um, the banner, and I think they've had some spectacular successes. Uh, mm -hmm. I think um, you know, esketamine or the NMDA antagonist for treatment resistant depression, you know, was approved. Uh, so people, you know, did see that uh, this is possible uh, to get some novel mechanisms uh, for depression, um, you know, and there's still a number of smaller companies, uh, you know, delving in Alzheimer's. 
And then a lot of, you know, orphan diseases too, orphan neurological diseases uh, that um, are small enough uh, that, you know, the smaller companies can, can deal with. And uh, so I think it's a great time to be doing CNS. I mean, I, I didn't know, you know, there's certainly been days where I thought I was ready to give up, you know, here back in those times, you know, before 2013, but I'm glad I stuck with it because I think it's a great time to be doing CNS trials again or will be shortly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you very much. So as we wrap up, uh, Dr. Smith, I got a question from a viewer uh, who watches the, the show, mm -hmm. and they were asking for my opinion on how I think the industry will react or what will happen to the industry with the U.S. being pulled out of the World Health Organization. And I don't really have a good answer because – in my opinion, I don't really think it matters necessarily for private industry. Uh, but what do you think about this? Well, I don't want to get wrapped up in politics here. Yeah, not, not too political, <laughs> but just what do you think about this? But, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, we are, whether we like it or not, you know, we are a, a part of the global you know, uh, world here. And, and this pandemic has really shown that that's the case. I mean, what are we going to do? Close our borders forever? You know, right. uh, and actually other borders are closed to us now. So right, I, exactly. I, think it's, I think it's very important that we do work um, together with other countries. Um, on, I hate to say it, but I don't think this is going to be the last, you know, pandemic in our lifetime. And uh, mm. I think it's best to, you're, you're better off working with other countries to head these things off early. Yeah. So I think it is important that we work together with our partners overseas. Yeah. Do you think it affects industry though, like in any way, or should we expect 2021 to be another record year for research studies? I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I hope not. Um, you know, I think, to be honest, so I think pharmaceutical companies, especially U.S. pharmaceutical companies, do have an obligation, though, to make um, some drugs available at a discounted price to, uh, you know, poorer countries. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when the, we started making the drugs for HIV and AIDS, and um, we had a big discussion, you know, whether to discount these prices or make them free, you know, mm. to Africa. And I, I think that is part of the obligation of uh, pharmaceutical companies that, especially with infectious uh, diseases um, that mm -hmm. <laughs> can boomerang around and, and uh, hurt, you know, uh, all countries. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that the, the WHO uh, situation hurts us immediately, but I think in the long run it could. And, um, mm. and I, I do think we need to, you know, work with, uh, work with other countries, as I've said. Yeah, I think that's a good answer, actually. So hopefully this viewer is satisfied because your answer is much better than mine. Uh, now with Vistagen, as we wrap up, so the, these two uh, studies you have, the social anxiety and the adjustment mm -hmm. disorder study, these are like the next big things for you guys, right, going forward? Yes. We have those two, and uh, let me tell you about a third compound that we have, which is a pH 10. pH 10 is another intranasal uh, compound, this time for depression. We did a small study in Mexico uh, showing that it had uh, antidepressant effects um, in patients with major depressive disorder. Again, uh, giving it intranasally uh, twice a day. 
And it seemed to have uh, effects within the first week that, you know, persisted over eight weeks. So we're gearing up uh, to do a larger study in the United States on that next year. Uh, so wow. this will be a drug, uh, unlike any antidepressant out there, uh, given intranasally, but with very few si side effects uh, that we hope is going to be rapid acting. So that's another, uh, wow. another uh, trial we hope to start uh, next year. Three interesting uh, programs in the pipeline. So Yeah, if yeah. people want to learn more about it, I, I would encourage them to go to our website. It's uh, www.vistagen.com. And there's some nice videos on there about how these novel drugs work. And you can learn more about social anxiety disorder, adjustment disorder, and uh, major depressive disorder. Vistagen.com. I will put the links in the show note. So if you're listening, it's in the Thank show you. notes. If you are watching, it's underneath the video. And Dr. Smith, we got to talk because uh, later because we <laughs> want these some of these studies too. So we'll we can talk uh, later on when it, when you need more sites. Let me know. We got a bunch okay. for you guys. Um, but. Thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. I think it was a really good interview. We got to learn a lot about Vistagen. I'm definitely going to be looking at the website and what you guys have uh, in the pipeline now. And uh, thank you for sharing your insights. And we'll do a part two, okay? Sounds good. My pleasure. Great talking with you. Likewise. Thank you, everybody, yeah. for watching and listening. And uh, catch you all later. So, hey, everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, and also go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, you can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.